Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. Welcome to CEO Uncovered. Today joining me is Aaron Hurst, a serial social entrepreneur, leading expert on science of purpose and fulfillment at work, as well as the founder of Imperative. How are you today? Great. Really excited to be here with you. Me as well. Could you give our listeners a little background about who you are? <laughs> sure. Happy to. Um, so I'm a social entrepreneur, which means that I am an entrepreneur. I build organizations, but the primary focus is on um, impact on the world. Uh, I'm motivated by actually creating change. To me, you know, building an organization to make money is not what motivates me. It's a byproduct um, and is not really the reason for it. So I created my first organization when I was 16, and I've been doing it ever since, sort of looking at problems in the world, identifying ways to solve them, and then building products and services to help address those needs. What do you think sparked your passion for entrepreneurship? I mean, I always say with entrepreneurship to some degree, for me, it's a mindset and it's almost, uh, I'm driven by it. Um, when I see a problem or I see an opportunity, I can't help myself but to act. I feel like it's less that anyone taught me how to do it. It was more that I was just had this compulsion <laughs> to solve problems and that that was the way it manifested. Have you developed any tools that has helped you in work and business since leaving formal education? Yes. I mean, I think there's so many different ones. I, mean, I think a big part of it, um, my focus has been around identifying what my purpose is and what actually drives me to make an impact. Because once you have that clarity, it helps you make decisions, it helps you prioritize. Um, and yet very few people actually know what their purpose is. And, you know, for me, it's less about the words and making it eloquent. It's about three things. First, what is the level of impact that you want to make in the world? Is it helping individuals? Is it helping teams and organizations? Or is it about making a change at a societal level? Like there are different um, psychological profiles that cause you to want to make it to make an impact at one of those levels. Another element is, is like, how do you solve problems? And another is like, what are your values? Once you have those clarified, that comes together to define your purpose and it becomes but basically your boss. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. what actually helps drive you as a leader. And anytime you find yourself straying from it, it brings you back to center. Since our audience is high school students, I think a lot of them are struggle to know what their purpose is before entering college. What would you say, or do you have advice for those who don't know what major career path to go on before going to college? Yeah, it's less about career path. I think it's more about just building self-awareness about what makes mm -hmm. a day a good day. And I think that's true as a student, it's true in the workplace. So if you're trying to work on that, I would just journal for a couple of weeks. At the end of each day, you know, say, how was my day today and what made it good or bad? And look for the patterns for the things that make you energized, that make you excited, that give you that power to move forward. And then identify the things that don't do that. It could be certain types of relationships, an impact you made, a certain type of growth. Um, but when you look at a couple of weeks of that journaling, you'll start to see trends emerge. It'll start to give you hints into who you actually are and what your purpose is. I feel like a lot of people are afraid to journal because they don't know where to start. <laughs> but honestly, it's so healthy. Well, it's, I think there's journaling where people feel like it's about writing out pages in a journal. I, I, I picture as a spreadsheet. You put mm -hmm. the date, things that gave me energy, things that took away energy. It doesn't have to be something with like curly cues and like a little like um, <laughs> yeah. a book. Like a spreadsheet is actually the ideal journal for this kind of activity. What made you want to start your own company? 
My very first was actually, I had a horrible job at McDonald's that my stepmother made me take. And I, I injured myself pretty badly doing that after about a week. And at the same time, um, I was a big baseball fan and used to go to baseball card shows at conventions to buy baseball cards. And I learned that if you're on the other side of the table at a baseball card convention, you can buy cards from people at half price at wholesale prices. And I was like, holy crap, like that's the side of the table I want to be on. So the next show I paid, I think, 20 bucks to get my own table. And that was sort of the start of a business that really took care of all my spending money through high school and helped um, me also just have a little spending money going into college without having to work for anyone. And that ability to have that autonomy um, and to build my own business was so exhilarating. And then after that, is that when you tapped into the Taproot Foundation? Yeah, I really, in college at the University of Michigan, really focused on service learning, the idea of how do you learn through doing volunteerism by serving others. And that really you know, inspired me after college to go and work in inner city education in Chicago and um, nonprofits. And I got so frustrated by how little capacity, how these nonprofits were held back from really achieving larger impact in society. So I went and moved to Silicon Valley and spent five years working in venture-backed startups to be able to learn how to build a scalable organization. And it was with those insights that I realized that nonprofits need access to marketing and tech and HR and finance just like companies do, but they often can't afford it. And that was really Mm -hmm. the light bulb moment for Taproot was, what if we could create an organization that could match professionals from the business community to help build nonprofits. So the nonprofits had access to those resources. And Mm -hmm. fast forward, it became a global organization um, touching the lives of millions of people. But just based on that simple idea of um, building that marketplace. Mm -hmm. Do nonprofits reach out to you or do you find them? Uh, With that model, nonprofits reach out. um, They actually apply. Uh, Mm -hmm. to get access to those resources. And that was one of the big innovations was that turning it into a process where nonprofits had to apply and made sure that they really thought through and really needed the service. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really was one of the things that enabled it to be successful. What was it like going from Silicon Valley to starting your company, not having a paycheck to paycheck system? Well, that's when I met my wife and um, we dated at the time. And that was very helpful uh, (laughs) because it enabled my expenses to be lower. Um, It took me about two years before I took a paycheck. A lot of it was just doing a little bit of consulting work on the side or just finding ways to get that bare minimum met until I had the proof of concept in place and could do the fundraising against it. I had to sell my car. Like I I liquidated a lot of my assets to be able to prolong that time to get to the point where we had product market fit. And what led you then to Imperative? Yeah, so um, what I saw at the Taproot Foundation was that the number one reason people did pro bono work, that they volunteered their time, was because their work wasn't fulfilling. They were looking to do volunteering to make up for something that was missing in their work. And it made me realize that instead of enabling people to get fulfillment on the side, what if we could fix work itself? What if we could make all work fulfilling? And that really was the moment of inspiration to go out and start Imperative and Mm -hmm. get venture capital to be able to build a technology platform that could actually scale the science behind enabling people to be fulfilled at work. Give us just how it's run, what is Imperative, and who would use it? Yeah, Imperative is used by large companies. Um, Mm -hmm. So companies like Microsoft, like Airbnb, Boston Scientific, um, around the world. And the way it works is that employees uh, enter the platform and they take a quick assessment, answering questions, and it determines what their purpose is based on our research. So they get the definition of their purpose. And then because we know the purpose of every employee, we can then match them one-on-one 
And they enter into conversations with each other um, that we provide a guide for that helps them accelerate basically becoming good friends at work. And it also, in the conversations, helps them build the skills to make their work fulfilling. And what we found is after just three conversations, two strangers in a company say they've built a meaningful relationship they plan to keep. And we find that I think it was 98% of the time they take actions that make their work more fulfilling. So by giving people that kind of peer support and by enabling them to really uncover their purpose, it's remarkable what that's able to do. That should be everywhere. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, schools, I could see really being beneficial in camps. I, I love that. I think even my dog would enjoy it. Yeah. I haven't figured out yet how to get him to communicate well online. And then how did you market that? Um, I think it's one of the nice things about your second, third, and fourth ventures is you start to build mm-hmm. relationships. So it was much easier sort of the second time around because I already had the contacts in corporations. I already knew great software developers. I already knew people in these different professions. So it gave me mm-hmm. a real start. Um, the key thing that really helped, though, was I wrote a book called The Purpose Economy. My uncle had coined the term information economy in the 1970s. And I made a prediction that we were entering a new economic era where purpose was going to drive innovation and uh, the job market. And I think that's completely come to be true. And that book and going on a you know, global book tour really helped build awareness and to drive people to imperative. You've written a book yourself, right? Yeah, I wrote that book. I've written a children's book with my wife, which was really fun. And then a how-to book as well. So, um, Did you always want to be an author? Or is this something you kind of led into? Um, I don't know that I always wanted to be an author. And if you'd asked me, it certainly wouldn't have been of nonfiction or certainly mm-hmm. not these <laughs> kinds of books. I think it was more just that I felt like I had something to say. I and mean, it's similar to being an it's entrepreneurial spirit. It's like, I have something that I want to do. It's a solution for something. And I've got to mm-hmm. get out in the world. And the best method right now is a company or is it a book or is it a LinkedIn post? Like it's, um, there are many different ways to build that solution. And I think it's knowing what what is the right investment and the right vehicle for it. One of the things you talk about is belonging. And I wanted to ask you, how important is it to feel like you belong? Um, very. So <laughs> it's a biological need. So back, back, back in the day, like, you know, tens of thousands of years ago when we lived in mm-hmm. small tribes in the wilderness, the number one predictor of whether or not you were going to survive was whether or not you had a sense of belonging and you felt like you could trust and that your village had your back. Because when the lion comes to <laughs> attack, it's like the group that's going to be able to protect mm-hmm. you. Like you're not going to survive on your own. So we are biologically driven to need to feel like we belong to a group because mm-hmm. in that group is where we find safety. And when people don't feel that, their health starts to break down, their mental health starts to break down. They start to have really severe symptoms because it's their body's way of saying, you need to find a tribe because otherwise you are at risk. Do you think imperative has really shifted way in belonging in the workplace and how people find those close-knit relationships earlier? Absolutely. I think the challenge has been the technology in the workplace has been around workflow management. So just sort of project management of your work or about mm-hmm. sharing information. It's not been built around connection and belonging. I think Imperative is really the first platform that's enabling people to have true human connection online from all over the world. And that really, I think, is our best hope for being able to build belonging in the workforce. I feel a lot of the workforce is competitive and that's where kind of mismatches when people don't want to make connections because they're competing for a a title or a spot. Uh, There's some of that. I think there's less of that than people think. I think a lot of times you're just Mm -hmm. against your day before and just doing better um, at whatever it is that you do. 
Um, I'd find most workplaces are not that competitive in reality. I think most people are just very focused on the craft of what they're doing, trying to hit their goals, make an impact. And yes, there's like some sense of wanting to move forward. Um, mm-hmm. and it's like the sense of scarcity in terms of promotion. But I think more and more generations are realizing a lot of those ideas of growth actually um, are not that important. In a lot of cases, like being able to stay doing what they're doing and just get better and better at it or trying different things is actually much more rewarding than just moving up into management and leadership. A lot of people, management, even though it sort of has always been stated as like getting higher up, is not as desirable. I mean, think about sports, right? Like, would you rather be the coach of a team or play on a team, right? Yeah. <laughs> you burn a lot more calories playing, that's for sure. Um, and it's a lot more fun. And yet somehow like we've made it where we'd assume like the best basketball player in their second year would get promoted to be the coach. And you're like, no, you wouldn't find God's name. Would you do that? Like, <laughs> so we've just got the whole thing backwards. Mm-hmm. What does a day to day look like for you? Uh, I usually get up around five, tend to uh, work out and catch up on, you know, any kind of projects where I need quiet space in the first couple of hours. Usually, you know, I'm working on multiple ventures at a time. So it's usually bouncing around on, you know, Zoom calls or in meetings with people working on, you know, selling ideas, being able to, you know, recruit people into an organization, helping to get the team fired up. And then, you know, in the evening, it's, you know, hanging out with the family and being able to really spend time with my kids who are in high school now. um, And I really want to spend time with them before Mm -hmm. gone, which is going to be way too soon. From starting multiple companies, how important was being financial literate in doing so? Yeah, financially, I think there's a lot of different definitions around financial literacy. I think in general, you really need to understand how money works, um, how it flows, um, what are the power dynamics around money, um, how do you multiply money, how are valuations of a company made, what is it that you need personally at a minimum to survive your lifestyle? If you don't know those things, you can pretty quickly find yourself, even with the best idea, sort of hitting a dead end. So it is it is incredibly important. I don't think you need to have a you know calculus degree um, and like advanced math and science around these topics, but you need to understand the basic sort of micro and macroeconomics. Has there been a tool or skill that you would say has contributed to your success at this point? I mean, I think reading has been really helpful. I mean, honestly, just hearing other people's perspectives and journeys. I and mean, there's so many books that sort of fall into that category. Mm-hmm. The tools, it's, it's sort of... The list would go on forever of tools <laughs> at different times that have helped with different things. Um, mm-hmm. I found LinkedIn to be a very powerful tool um, for meeting people and for connecting. I think a lot of high school students don't get on LinkedIn, and I highly recommend that you do. And you start to think about how you're cultivating your community around you to support you in your career. Um, so that's one thing I, I highly recommend. That's a great point because I don't think I've seen very many high school students on LinkedIn, maybe because they don't know what to put on there. Yeah, As well, you can now. check out my daughter's on there, Lola Hurst, here in Seattle. So check out her profile and use that as a template so you can everyone can do their own. <laughs> everyone hear that. So lastly, I always ask everyone this. If you could give a piece of advice to a teenage or college version of yourself, what would you tell him? I think just be courageous. Um, usually the things that scare us are the places where we can have the greatest impact and the greatest growth, and that it's doing the safe thing that actually causes us to shrink as a human being. Always embrace the thing that scares you, embrace that risk, and that's where you're really gonna have your best life and see what you're actually capable of. I love that. Well, thank you, Aaron, for joining us today on CEO Uncovered. We loved having you, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, my pleasure.
Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.